Okay, there we go. So um, I'm very thankful for Will for preaching last week from Acts 17. And uh, just uh, really the, the focus there on idolatry in particular is, is so powerful. We always need to be reminded as Christians of the threat, danger of idolatry. And I, I just want to say that I'm very thankful for the staff that God has, has given to this church. I'm thankful for Will. I'm thankful for Joanna and all of the service that they do for, for the people of God here. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see. Each week we have staff meeting on Tuesday, and it's great to see and hear all of the things that they are doing and all of the ways that they are ministering to people in their own way throughout the week and all of the various ministries that they have their hands in. So I'm just very thankful for them. And, and I would just encourage you, express your gratitude to them for all that they do. Uh, for Joanna with our children's ministry and for Will with all of the various, I mean various administrative things that he has to do every week. Uh, some of which are, are, are taxing and, and some of which have quite a learning curve and Will has, has moved forward and tackled those. So I'm grateful for them. And as we move into parenting today, I am reminded of Joanna's comments in our first membership class about the role of the children's ministry here at Four Corners Church. What is the children's ministry ultimately about? Or I should say it this way, what, what, is, what is the extent of the role of the children's ministry of our church? And the point that she made was that, that the children's ministry here is about supporting families. It's about supporting parents. It's about supporting what, what you guys and what, what my wife and I and, and, and Joanna and Brett and others in our, in our church are doing to raise their own children. So she was making the point that this responsibility of bringing up children ultimately falls on us as parents. It does not ultimately fall on the church. It does not ultimately fall on the school. It ultimately falls on us as parents. We're the ones who are responsible before God to raise our children, to bring them up, to, to see to their development in every single way. So that is... That is uh, something that I think we should continue to emphasize here at our church. We come now to the final verse in our series. That doesn't mean the final sermon, uh, but it is the final verse as we come to uh, chapter 6, verse 4. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, chapter 6, verse 4 of Ephesians. And the series that we've been in for quite some time now is My Family for His Glory, and we've looked at Chapter 5 of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 22, all the way up through chapter 6, verse 4. And what we've tried to do is go through this passage very slowly, very carefully, and read it and interpret it in light of all of the scriptures. And we started out those first two weeks, those first two sermons, looking at this passage just in the context of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And so we have this, this bit of instruction, instruction situated here in chapters five and six, and we want to understand how this functions in, in, in Paul's overall rhetorical purposes in the book of Ephesians, and that's what we started with. We came up when we entered the passage into wives, and then we, we looked at husbands. We looked then, we took a, a little bit of a, a, a detour, and we looked at singles. And by the way, I should just say this. I really appreciate the patience of all of you here who either don't or aren't married or don't have kids. You're just sort of, you're a single person, and you've come week by week, and you've listened, and you've taken it in, and you've participated in your gospel community group. I want to say uh, I appreciate that. I think as a church, we appreciate your patience. Uh, although this has not maybe been uh, immediately applicable to your life, 
Uh, you may not be able to walk away from this sermon and say, okay, uh, God wants me to do X, Y, and Z, or I need to pray for this or pray for that. I hope that at least uh, split directly that, that sermon on singles, but also all of these sermons have clarified for you uh, the, the, the relationship that we have with God, the relationship he has with us, and the relationships that he requires of us in the family and the responsibilities of that. So today we come to the final verse, and I want to introduce this verse and this portion of our study by focusing on this first word, fathers. That's what we will focus our time on today. So let's read the verse, Ephesians 6, verse 4. So we looked at children, verses 1 to 3. And then verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One of the points that John MacArthur makes as he's working through this verse is he says that in our culture, there seems to be such an interest on, on, on parenting advice. You know, there's all kinds of parenting. There's parenting magazines. I remember when Jennifer and I went to a, a maternity store, she, when we found out she was pregnant, we started, she was looking for maternity clothes and that kind of thing. And we went to one of the stores and they said, well, if you'll, if you'll buy this or sign up for this, you'll get, you'll get like a, a year's subscription to four of these parenting magazines. And she kind of laid them out on the, on the table there. Apparently there are that many magazines out there on parenting. But there's so many books that you can buy on how to do this and this technique and this skill and the art of parenting and so forth. And one of the points that MacArthur makes is God's advice to parents is so simple. It is so clear. It is so straightforward. He says in all of these verses, he simply says in verse four, do not provoke your children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Period. Do that, the Lord says, and you will be raising your children unto me. That is the simple instruction given to parents. Now, obviously, that is taken in the context of all of Scripture, and so we would understand this statement, this instruction, in the context of all of Scripture. But nonetheless, we find that there really isn't a need to go out and read 100 books on parenting. Read God's word. Understand God's word. Study God's word. He's the creator. He's the one who made your children. He's the one who made us. He's the one who instituted the family and instituted the parent-child relationship. And he's the one who tells us what we ought to do. Anything, any advice that moves away from God's word is false, period. It is a lie. It is earthly, carnal, it is a deception. So, four things that we will look at this morning about fathers. That's where we will start. Four things. A father's role, a father's pattern, a father's life, and a father's love. And these are really just the starting point. These are starting point ideas for parenting for the glory of God. If you're thinking about my family for his glory, you're thinking about my parenting for God's glory these are really just starting points. As we, as we enter into this verse and we see this word fathers, there are all of these things that just start popping out. And as we lean from fathers into the remaining words of this verse, I think that we must start with these four items. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his blessing. 
and ask that he will make our minds receptive, our hearts receptive, and our lives receptive to his word. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege it is just to say Father and to know that immediately you turn an attentive ear to us. God, we're here this morning as a local church, a local expression of the inbreaking of the kingdom of light in the midst of darkness. A, a local gathering that, that is a, a microcosm of the people of God throughout the world and throughout time. God, we praise you that we are here as a people. We thank you that in various ways, at various times, you've brought us together here as a people, that you've brought the people who are here this morning, the people who aren't with us, we, we thank you for them, but the people who are here this very morning, you have brought to this hour to receive your precious word. God, would your word be effective and powerful? We know that it always is, that it is profitable God, would it be profitable for us today, we ask. Would, would every word of your scripture, of your inspired word, would every word of it drip into our minds, helping our minds to be conformed not to this world, not to the pattern of this world, but to your pattern set forth by you, the creator. And would our hearts be receptive as our affections for idols, our affections for earthly things grow dim, and our affections for you grow bright. And God, we pray that our lives will change, that our conduct, that our walking in the world, our doing and our being, our going and our coming will be unto you, that it will be God glorifying. And we particularly pray this morning for that in the context of our homes, in the context specifically of our parenting relationships. God, we recognize that uh, Satan is, is desiring to destroy our families, that he desires to destroy our children, he desires to pull them further and further into darkness. And God, we ask that you will apply your grace to us today. We pray that the application of your word will be real and penetrating by your Holy Spirit. And that he will make it clear to every person what this passage looks like in their own life, in their own set of circumstances. God, would you be merciful to us today? We are gathered together trusting in you by faith, as Hebrews 11 talks about all of those who by faith conquered kingdoms and shut the mouths of lions and did all these incredible things, Lord, we by faith gather here this morning and we trust in you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come first to a father's role. As we come to verse four, we know from the context that both mothers and fathers are in view, both, when it comes to the raising of children, which is the main idea that we have in verse four, bring them up, educate them, raise them, train them, so that all of those ideas are kind of present in this verse, bring them up. And we know that in this bringing up, both mothers and fathers are involved. We know that from the context, verse one. Children, obey your parents. So we know from verse one that it is parents who must demand the obedience of their children. It is parents who must train their children to obey them, must teach them to do that, and must oversee that heart-generated behavior. We know from verse two 
that parents, both mother and father, are included here because it says, honor your father and your mother. And this corresponds with what we find in Proverbs. So listen to what it says here. My son, keep your father, this is in chapter six, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Mother and father, training, raising, bringing up children. And Proverbs 31 tells us that the godly mother opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And so it's clear when you read through Proverbs 31 that one of the most important duties of a mother is to teach with kindness and wisdom her children. And to be a person who is focused on the home, who's focused on the development of the relationships within the home, and who is focused on the upbringing of those in the home. We get that clearly from Proverbs 31. And we discussed that a little bit when we talked about wives. And I should say here that one of the things that you will notice is there will be a certain amount of repetition as we're going through these, these uh, different responsibilities because as we talk about mothers, we can't help but to see wives. And as we talk about fathers, we are also seeing husbands. And that is, of course, God's design, that it is a mother and a father who come together, there's a husband and a wife who come together, they cling to one another, they start a one flesh relationship, they enter into a covenant, and it's out of that covenant that children are born. And it is in that context of mother and father raising children that we have God's design for the family. Now recognize that this is not the case universally. God works even in broken families. God works when the design is broken, when the design is actually is broken in our lives. God is still sovereign, God is still working, and God's grace still flourishes. But nonetheless, this, as we've talked about all along, is God's design. This is God's pattern. This is the way God desires it to be. This is God-glorifying family, according to his word. And we see a clear illustration of the significance of a mother in the life of Timothy. And you've probably come across this before with Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded, this is what Paul says to, to Timothy, his, his young protege, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And then he goes on in that very same epistle, this is 2 Timothy, in chapter three, verse 15, he goes on to say that from childhood, Timothy had been acquainted with the sacred writings. What does that tell us? That tells us that the most significant influence, Timothy's father was a Greek, it doesn't say he was a believer, it does say in Acts that Timothy's mother, a Jew, was a believer. And so what we find with Timothy is that the most influential influence in his life was his mother, who was influenced by her mother. So we have this young man, Timothy, in the New Testament who is a significant figure in the pastoring and growth of the early church and we see that it was two generations of godly women who preceded his Christian life or who, who fed into his Christian life. This is similar to John Wesley who as an adult said this, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. So I wonder this, is that what your kids are gonna grow up and say about you, mom? Are your kids going to grow up and say, I learned more about Christianity from my mom than from 
anybody else from all the theologians and all of the preachers and all of the Sunday school teachers, I learned about God from my mother who poured her life, who poured her passion for God into me. And it's interesting when you go throughout church history and you look at all of the biographies, if you sort of travel through the biographies of church history, it is incredible to me how these, these great names that we read about, you know, all the way back to, to Augustine and up through in the patristic period, the church father period, many of those guys were heavily affected by their mothers. In fact, St. Augustine's father was not a Christian. It was his praying mother. This is probably the most influential theologian in the history of Christianity. His simple praying mother, whom he always looked back to as the means by which God saved him. His praying mother who was an example to him, who loved the Lord, who sought the Lord, who loved his word and loved his church, that was the biggest influence in the life of Augustine. So I just want to make the point here that mothers have a tremendous impact on their children. But I want you to notice that the instructions we find in verse four regarding the upbringing of children are addressed to fathers. Fathers is the word that we find at the beginning of this verse. It is fathers in particular who receive this instruction from the Lord. He does not use the more general word for parents that he did in verse one, and that I think is noteworthy. In verse one, he used a a different Greek word, the word for parents. Here he uses the word fathers. And this points us back, of course, to headship. This is an idea that we encountered when we jumped into this series. We looked at chapter, uh, chapter five, verse 22. We started talking about the relationship between wives and husbands, and we saw that the husband is head of the wife, as it says. We talked about what that means for a wife to submit to her husband and what it means for a husband to lovingly lead his wife. But what we found there is that one of the key notions, one of the key ideas that is packed into this word head is leadership. That the husband is the head of the home. He is the leader in the home. Uh, Right now, our son Jake is really into the Ninja Turtles. Big time. And and his favorite Ninja Turtle is Leonardo. I ask him to say, you know, some of you don't know about the Ninja Turtles, that's fine. Uh, But Leonardo wears the blue mask, okay? And he has the swords, two swords. And Leonardo is the leader. He's the leader of the Ninja Turtles. And Jake's always, he wants to be the leader. He wants, he likes Leonardo. He wants to have his Leonardo toy with him. He wants to wear his blue mask. This leadership role is the role of the man of the home. It is the role of the father. The point is that the bringing up, up of children ultimately falls under the responsibility of the father. He is accountable to God more than any other. We fathers are accountable to God more than any other. I want you to hear the way that John Piper describes this accountability. He says it this way. If there is a problem with the children at the Piper household, and if Jesus knocks on the door, and Noel, who is his wife, comes to the door, Jesus is going to say, hello, Noel. Is the man of the house home? We need to talk. 
And that is, I think, precisely the case. We fathers are responsible for our homes. We are the ones to whom God gives this role. And in many ways, the wife, the the mother, is an extension of the leadership of the father, rightly understood. That the wife is carrying out, as we talked about with wives, the reliable helper. That she is a reliable helper, focused on the household. She is carrying out the, the vision of her husband, a godly vision, a biblical vision. She is implementing that in the details of the child's life. But it is the man, it is the husband, it is the father who must lead, who must take this as his calling and charge and responsibility. Isn't that one of the biggest problems in our world today is that fathers aren't fathers? That fathers don't lead? That fathers don't accept their God-ordained responsibility? Tremendous problem. Tremendous problem. This oversight role of the father is what lies behind the qualification of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 4 to 5. So we get to the qualifications for elders and we see that, that Paul tells Timothy that an elder and overseer must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. He must manage his household well. Do you notice that? Who's the manager of the home? Well, the one who manages the the details of of living out family life will oftentimes be the mother. As I said before, she's the one who implements the details of family life. But the father is the one who manages. He is the one who oversees the operation of this home. And I should say this, this is not just for elders. Because when we read through the pastoral epistles and we see that in Titus and in 1 Timothy, we get these lists of qualifications for elders, we know that these are not just for elders, but these are for godly men in the church. And that's the reason why elders are told to be an example to the flock. Elders are to be an example to other men within the church who are aspiring to godliness. So when we read the qualifications of elders, we are not reading something that's just for the elite few or the special few or anything crazy like that. We're reading something that God desires for every man, for every man. So every man should manage his household well. Every man should have his children under submission. So, fathers, are you taking your managerial role Seriously, are you taking seriously this responsibility that God has placed on you? You know, so often fathers can just get into a routine, especially when kids are little, of thinking that, well, she's got the kids taken care of. She takes care of the kids I work. That's wrong. That's not biblical. We have a responsibility to raise these Little ones. And this is far different, by the way, from our culture where dads are checked out or absent. Just either not physically present, or if they are physically present, they're just deadheads, just kind of floating in the home, or just kind of focused on something else rather than what it is that God has called them to be. Taking seriously and holding up as a priority this precious community of people whom God has placed them over. A father's role. The second thing that I think we need to consider as a starting point as we enter into this discussion on parenting and this verse that deals with parenting is a father's pattern. Very, very important. 
When discussing marriage, we saw that there is a pattern for wives and for husbands to follow. So think about it this way. My hope is that after we finished our, our part on marriage, and even after we finished this series, my hope is that as a husband, every time that you come home from work, every time that you pick up your phone, every time that you relate with your wife, that you will see Christ in your mind relating to his church. And that that pattern of Christ relating to his church then becomes for you the basis of all of your thinking and acting and doing and speaking. That, that is the image that pops in your head when you begin to get frustrated with your wife or when you begin to pursue some selfish end rather than do something for her. That image should immediately pop into your mind and you are convicted by it, you're rebuked by it, you're corrected by it, and through that image you're trained in righteousness. The image of Christ relating to his church. And wives, when wives are, are tempted not to submit to their husbands, not to, to follow their husband's leadership, should see that picture of the church submitting to Christ, of the church following its Lord and its master. The same is true here of fathers. The same is true for parenting. This opening word of verse four, fathers, points us to the Father, God the Father, as the pattern for fatherhood. And we've talked about this a little bit before already. So I wanna make this just quick application for us. I want you to know, dad, father, that this is step one for parenting. This is step one, the pattern. It begins, everything begins here. Know the pattern. The most important thing that an earthly father can do is to get to know his heavenly father. That's it. Because it's in a relationship with heavenly father, with the heavenly father, that two things begin to happen. One, you begin to understand what it is like to be a child of, of a father and you then begin to sympathize with your children as they sit under a father. You. Another thing that happens is you see every day of your life God's fatherly love for you. You experience it, you know it, you learn it, you feel it, you, you think it. And God's fatherly disposition towards you is so all-consuming that you go out and you relate to your child in the very same way because that's all you know about fatherhood. That's what you've been taught. And so I think here we also have this notion of study. The best thing that a father can do leaving here this morning, the best thing that we as fathers can do for our children is go home today and say, I am going to do a study of the fatherhood of God every day of my life that I might shepherd my children well. I am going to become a student of the father that I might be a father in this world. So it comes through an active relationship with the father. It comes through studying the father's way, the father's activity, the father's disposition. This is how we come to be fathers in the best sense of the word. And when we look at the context of our passage in Ephesians, there are at least three things that we can say about the father. You could do an exhaustive study here of what the father's love for us, you know, how deep the father's love for us, one of my favorite songs. Uh, it, it's, it begins that way, how deep the father's love for us. And we, we consider 
That we can never exhaust and fully understand all of the facets of God's fatherly care and disposition towards us. But I want to give you three things to sort of hang your hat on as we think about fatherhood in the context of the pattern that God sets out for us. And the first is that God is kind. And we're finding this in Ephesians, by the way. See, I'm not gonna go through, through the whole of scripture because then we'd be here all day. I just wanna jump out from our passage just a little bit and I wanna see what has Paul said about fathers or about the father in the book of Ephesians before and after this passage. And I wanna make these three applications for us. God the Father is kind. He is kind. Ephesians 2, 4, he is rich in mercy. And he saves us because of the great love with which he loved us. That's the Father. Ephesians 2, 7 says that our being made alive with Christ, and listen to these words, beautiful words, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? That that God is designing, he has designed redemption. He has designed the story of redemption throughout history so that at the end of time, at the end of this age, when the new heavens and the new earth come and we are with God forever, that we will forever be trophy displays of God's kindness. God's kindness will be forever on display as we exist with him in eternity in heaven. So God is kind. So I want to say this. Are we kind and gracious with our children? I mean, this is one of the most important aspects of fathering. Kindness towards children. Love is kind, we read in 1 Corinthians 13. It is not sharp. It is not impatient. It is not frustrated. It is not irritable. It is kind. It is tender. It is sympathetic. It is merciful. It is gracious. It is loving It is God-like. It is just like that of the Father. So if you want to know today, what does it look like to be a student of the Father? What does it look like to live in his way of, of fathering? Be kind to your children. Be kind to them. Secondly, he provides, he blesses. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says that the Father who is in heaven gives good things to those who ask. God gives us good things. God provides for us. God blesses us. Now, obviously here I should make a point. This is not to overindulge our children. This is not to spoil our children. That's a a, a catastrophic thing to do. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that in relating to our children, if we are to do it as God has done it, and as God does it currently and will always do it in eternity, we are to give our children good things. We are to have an attitude of provision towards them, an attitude of blessing them, bestowing upon them blessing. That is what our Father does with us. So he is kind, he provides. And then thirdly, I want you to see this, and I think this one is is so fundamental. He listens, he listens. Ephesians 2.18 says this, that through Christ we have access We have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So when we're thinking about God's fatherly care towards us, we know that God opens up the doorway, he opens up a pathway of communication, and there is 100% access. So that when we pray, God turns an attentive ear to us immediately. That's an incredible, incredible encouragement to prayer. That the God who made the stars, when we pray, Father, Abba, he listens immediately. He is attentive we have access to this God. Do we listen? Such a neglected thing. Do we listen to our children? A funny thing was, it is that one of the wisest pieces of advice I ever got on parenting was from a taxi driver in Edinburgh, which is slightly ironic not because he was a taxi driver, but because one of the things that I noticed in Edinburgh is I would take taxis here and there and I would try to share my faith with the taxi drivers. And one of the things that I always found was that if there was any group of people who were kind of shut off to evangelism, it was taxi drivers. And maybe that's because all sorts of naive Americans like me get in the taxi and start talking about Jesus. And they're just used to a bunch of Americans talking about Jesus. So they just kind of shut off or they get a little bit short, they get a little bit cold. And because uh, uh, many of them would say, yeah, yeah, religion's a pretty big deal over, over in America, right? They didn't sound like that. But uh, that's, that's what they would, would often say. And so, you know, it was an unexpected source of wisdom, but, but I think it was wisdom nonetheless. And this is what he said. He said, you know, it's just a, a simple dad and a little kid and wasn't home a lot, you know, because uh, he was working crazy hours. But he said, you know, I try every time my son speaks, I try to listen to everything he says. He said this, if you won't listen to them over the little meaningless trivial things, then you won't listen to them when it becomes important, when it becomes significant, when it becomes life changing. If they don't trust that you will listen to them talk about their toy trucks, their dinosaurs, their Ninja Turtles, their painting, their dress, whatever it might be, then they won't trust that you will listen to them when they want to talk to you about all the kinds of things that will be hugely impactful on their life. Listen, listen, and be like our Father in heaven. We don't hear just noise. Are you like that? Your kids speak, they babbling, just going on and on about something. Do you just hear noise? Or do you hear the utterances of a precious soul? even if it is about toys and so forth, worms, whatever else. Not just noise, but the utterances of a precious soul made in the image of God who will one day grow up to know that you turn a deaf ear, that your mind is on work, that your mind is on what you wanna do next, that your mind is on something else, but not on them. They will learn that. They will know that. And that will provoke them to anger. And that gets into what we'll cover next week. So being kind, blessing, and listening are just a few ways that we can follow the pattern of our Heavenly Father. The main thing to see here is that we must carefully study this pattern. That's the main thing I want you to get out of this. 
You do, instead of going and reading three books on parenting or on being a good father, open up your Bible and study the father. That's the starting point. Thirdly, a father's life, equally important. As we lean into our passage and see the words bring up, so look at verse four. We see these words, bring them up. We see this word discipline in the discipline. And then we see this word instruction and instruction of the Lord. As we encounter these words in our passage, as we're leaning into our passage from this word fathers, as we lean in, we encounter these words, we realize that a father is, at the core, a teacher, an educator. That's at the heart of what it means to be a father. He is a teacher. And this, I think, should draw us immediately to Deuteronomy chapter six, where Moses tells the people that they are to pass on the teaching of God's law to the next generation. And so when we get to Deuteronomy six, and I don't know, uh, dad out there, if you have ever encountered Deuteronomy chapter six, Man, that is an incredible, incredible, incredible chapter for a father. In fact, if, if a father were to say, I, I just want to have one passage that I can camp out my whole life, probably look no further than Deuteronomy chapter 6. What an amazing description. This is Moses telling the people, just as they're about to go into the promised land, after all that God has done for them to bring them out, and Moses tells them this from the Lord, in Deuteronomy chapter six. And what I want you to see, well, first, let me make this point. In that chapter, he says in verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So after he's talked about the law, and talked about the commands of God, and talked about the theology of God, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And what I want you to see here is the backdrop for this teaching responsibility. This is very important, so try to catch this. Teaching is never in isolation. One of the biggest mistakes that Christian parents make. Teaching in isolation from life. That's ridiculous. Training hypocrites. Training up pagans. Training up people who will walk away from the faith as soon as they go off to college. When teaching and life don't match, terrible, terrible thing. Teaching always flows out of one's life. And this is why I'm focusing here on a father's life. These are fundamentals. So I want to show you what I mean by this. So if you can, maybe turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can just listen if you would like. I'll read verses 1 to 7. You can turn there. I want you to see what I'm talking about. When I say that, the life is the backdrop for teaching. Verse one, now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. Notice these ideas. Notice the verbs, the verbal commands. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, another verb, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love 
Another verb, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall keep them on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Notice that. Teaching them diligently to your children comes after all of, this, all of these verbs and all of this emphasis on character and on life and on the activity of a father. A father does not come to the task of sitting down in front of his child to do catechism or to read the Bible or to quote a verse without all of this life emphasis, this introspective life emphasis guiding that and standing behind that. He teaches out of a life that pursues God. Fearing, confessing, loving, meditating, Proceed and accompany teaching. That's what we find in this passage. Fearing, confessing, fearing God that is, confessing, loving, meditating, all of these things feed into our teaching. So what does this look like in practice? What does this look like for you at home? Well, first, I think it means being a dad who hates sin. This is very important. Being a dad who hates sin. Sin doesn't dabble with sin, doesn't play with little sins. So important for us as fathers. We think that as long as we're present and we're not out robbing banks and doing all kinds of other crazy stuff that you oftentimes hear people like murder, rape, robbing banks, and all these, this list of sort of the, the sins that really bring people down. But it's the little things. It's the little dabbling with sin. It's the little playing with sin that demonstrates there's a lack of fear of God. Fear of God is expressed through the hatred of evil. To fear God is to hate evil, is what Proverbs says. A person who plays with sin, a person who dabbles in sin, who carelessly gives over to sin and just sort of falls back on, well, God will forgive me. God's gracious. He'll forgive me. Just constantly falling back on sin is a person who does not fear the Lord God. Fear of God is to keep his commandments. And that means, as Jesus said, that we follow him, that we love one another, that we pursue him with all of our lives, that we are fishers of men and so forth. Our righteousness does not come from our works. It comes from Christ. We stand before God, right? because of Christ's imputed righteousness. God does not see our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. But in the Holy Spirit, God calls us to a life of faithful obedience to his word, keeping his word, living in holiness of life. A dad who does not hate sin can't teach his child effectively. That's the point. We must not just avoid sin. We must hate evil. We must hate sin because it is odious to God himself. God hates sin, God hates sin, he loathes sin. And one day his wrath will come upon the world for sin and it will be an awful day. His wrath fell on Jesus for sin and that is what saves us who trust in him. So being a dad who hates sin, being a dad who knows his Bible and trusts in God. How do you confess, as it says here in Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is, in other words, to confess God. How do you confess God? Well, first you have to know God. And you're not going to know God unless you know your Bible, because that's the way God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself 
especially in this book in a special way. This is how we know God. Not from our imagination, not from just putting our experiences together, not from just looking out at the world and trying to figure out how it all works and hodgepodge it together. We learn about God from the word. So a dad who does not know his Bible cannot be an effective teacher of his children because he must make a confession that is based on knowledge and it means to trust God. You know those words, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When we confess God, we confess God's grace in Jesus Christ, we are saying that God is trustworthy, he's reliable, he's faithful. What does it say to our kids? When we freak out every time something bad happens, we have no hope, we have no joy, we're in a bad mood, we're grumbling, we're complaining, work was so bad today, everything's bad in my life, it's just a terrible life, I'm frustrated. All that communicates is that you have no trust in God. You have no trust in a sovereign God. So confess him. And that means confess with your daily faith in his sovereign providence and his goodness, his goodness and his love and his kindness as we talked about before. It means being a dad who dedicates his whole being to the glory of God. When it says love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, all of this tells us that our whole life is about God's glory. We wake up in the morning, we want God to be exalted. You know, to love someone is to desire their good. It is to desire that they receive what is good for them. That they, it is to desire good. And to love God is to desire the ultimate good for all creation, and that is God's glory. It is to desire his glory in everything that we do, we say, everywhere we go, everything we look at with our eyes. That is what it means to love the Lord our God with our whole being. And that is what we must do if we are to be effective teachers of our children. Finally, being a dad who continually thinks on divine things. It says, keep these things always on your heart. It says this, these things shall be on your heart always. How do we do that? This is a man, a father, who's always thinking about God. This is a Colossians 3 kind of dad. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. That's the life of a dad who then enters into a moment of teaching with his son and is able to say to him, son, turn away from sin and trust in God. This is the context for a father who teaches the first thing to consider is a father's life. Finally, as we finish up this morning, a father's love. One of the things that you may find surprising is that fathers or parents are not explicitly told here to love their children. Seems kind of strange, maybe. You would expect that. Fathers, love your children. And then moves on to the other things, right? It's not what we find. But although love is not explicitly stated, I want you to see that it is clearly implied at every point along this verse. At every point, it's implied. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at the pattern of our father. When Paul says to these believers, fathers, immediately they are to thank heavenly father. About thought I lost a page. They are to immediately think Father, the Heavenly Father, God the Father. That's immediately what they are to think when they read fathers. They are to think about the pattern and what do we know about the pattern he loves? I've just quoted you. 
places in this very epistle where we're told how much God loves us, how he lavishes his love on us, how he's gracious toward us, merciful to us, forgiving our sins, and how he will display his kindness to us forever. So we know that fathers are to love their children because of the pattern. We know that fathers are to love their children because the following instruction is a negative, to to avoid provoking them to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. This means that a father is sensitive and caring towards his child. A father knows what's in his child's heart. A father knows uh, and cares about what's in the mind. A father is delicate and gentle and careful and intentional. That's love. So we know that love is in view there. We also see love with this idea of bringing them up. It's the same verb used in 29, which has to, verse 29, when we talk about fathers loving, the, I mean, husbands loving themselves and loving their wives like they love themselves. And what is, a, what is a, a husband to do? He's to nourish and cherish her. That idea of nourishing is to see the good, to, to build up, to kind of cultivate. Well, that is to pursue the good of another. And so we know, as we open up this verse and we look at it, we know that fathers at every point are to love their children. Parents in general, fathers in particular. But how do we love our kids? This is where we'll finish up this morning. How do we do that? I wanna give you a basic idea. You may be surprised to find that one of the major ways that love is expressed to your children is through discipline. That may shock you a little bit because I think in our culture, one of the things that uh, there's a caricature, I even read early this morning a caricature uh, of of parents who spank their children. And the, the caricature is that to be loving is not to do those things because a person who spanks his or her children is a person who is harsh, who is, who is strict and rigid and, and, and vindictive and has a temper and capricious and all these words that make it very unhealthy. Well, of course, no Christian who reads this passage, children, uh, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, is gonna come away with that conclusion. That's just a caricature, it's not true. But what I will say is parents who just dote, self-indulge, Indulge their kids, don't really love them. Don't really deeply love them. Because what you will probably find at the heart of that is a needy parent. That's one of the worst things in the world is a needy parent. A parent who emotionally needs their child. A parent who is so dependent on on the relationship back from the child that they'll do whatever it takes to have their child love them. Do whatever it takes. It's all about having a friendship with your child. It's not about being this, a godly father, a godly mother. So you may be surprised to find that one of the major ways that love is expressed is through discipline. And of course, discipline that is understood in the light of this command, do not provoke your children to anger. Where am I getting this from? And I'll finish with this. Proverbs 13, 24 says it as clear as it can be. Whoever spares the rod hates his child. Wow, man. If, if, if you're not spanking your children, and I emphasize spanking, not abusing, but using the rod on your children, if you are not doing that, the Bible says here, Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his child. That is to express in action a kind of hatred for your child. I recognize that there are unique circumstances. 
And there's no blanket way to think about discipline. Spanking is not a serve every situation kind of way of discipline. And the rod can be understood in all of its contours as not just simply, simplistically spanking, but in discipline in general. But I do believe that spanking is most certainly in view. Whoever spares the rod hates his child. Do you love your children? Discipline them. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligent to discipline him. Hebrews 12, six to eight says this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You hear that? The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Do you know what that means? That means that in a real sense, the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, when you are being disciplined by God, there is some joy that you should have in that because that tells you you are a son. You are legitimate. There is assurance of salvation to be found in undergoing the discipline of God. That is an incredible notion. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So I'll make this point at the end here. To not discipline is to devalue and to delegitimize your children. That's incredible when you think about it. That's not the world's wisdom, but we are not of the world. We are of God, we are of Christ. We have his word, and one day we will live with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Do not devalue or delegitimize your children by failing to discipline them. So I'll ask these questions. Do they know that you care? Part of the reason parents don't discipline their children is because they just don't care. They're not gonna fool with it. It's too much effort. It's a lot of work to rightly discipline your children, to, to make all those judgment calls. Is this a spanking moment? Is this, a, is this obedience or is it not? That wasn't really obedience. That wasn't really prompt. All these judgment calls that go into it, it's hard work. I speak, I speak in this very moment for someone who's raising a three-year-old. It's not easy. It's not easy to discipline a three-year-old rightly. I mean, maybe it's easier for you. But it's not easy being a parent. And I'm sure when you have three or four of them running around, like some of you do, you're thinking, no, it's not easy to do it rightly. It's not easy to do it godly. It's not easy to do it consistently. And to be firm and yet gentle. And how all that works together, that's not easy. That's difficult. But when we fail to put forth the effort, we communicate hatred, not love, to our children. And I'll end with this. We communicate to them that in truth, they do not belong. They do not belong. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your precious word. Lord, what a blessing it is that you've revealed yourself to your people in this holy book we call the Bible. God, how, how you have upheld throughout centuries of scrutiny the truthfulness of your word and how you have raised up men throughout history, men and women, to, to bear witness to the truth of your word who, who are changed by the Holy Spirit who's authored this word and countless martyrs who have stood up and undergone tortures of various kinds because they have the word of God imprinted on their souls by your spirit who wrote this very book by the hands of men who were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit. God, if there's nothing else that this series should communicate to us, I pray that it will communicate to us the riches of your word, the Bible. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will apply to us today these words. God, that we will be good fathers, fathers that pursue you, that we will be fathers who are in your image, who are children, imitators of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2. That we will be imitators of you, Father, as we undergo as we undergo this task, as we endeavor to be fathers. And I pray for mothers and I just pray for our homes. I pray for the households represented by this church, Lord, in this church. Would you bless our homes? And I pray for those who have, got, who have passed beyond the years of child rearing. I pray that they will see as their mission to be a godly influence, not someone who's standing over, criticizing, giving tons of advice, but a godly influence on the lives of younger fathers and younger mothers. God, would you raise up a new generation in this church of people who confess you as the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth and who sent your son to die for our sins and through whom we have eternal life. God, we pray for our church as relates to families. In Jesus' name, amen.